0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Find out why the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics is issuing a public health alert following the discovery of fentanyl in vaping oil. And on Everyday Tech we'll hear the latest in adaptive technology tools. Then the State Forestry Commission fire chief tells us what to do if a fire is spotted in the woods.
1: Mississippi's totally different from out west. Our fire season starts in October. There's an end in October when they start getting the snow out west, you know, they're they're done and we're just picking up.
0: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The State Bureau of Narcotics is warning Mississippians now that a deadly opioid has been found in an illegal vaping oil. On August eighth, MBN agents and area law enforcement raided eight convenience stores and vape shops in the Jackson metro area. All of them are accused of selling the synthetic cannabinoid spice. Agents seized more than twenty-four thousand units of the illegal drug. MBN Director John Dowdy issued a public health warning. Friday, saying one of the vials contained the deadly opioid fentanyl. That unit, he says, was from a store located in Brandon. Dowdy tells MPB's Desiree Fraser the public should avoid vaping oils.
2: Fentanyl is a very deadly drug. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while with the opioid epidemic. Uh, fentanyl is about 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. Uh, most of the time, uh, it takes about one microgram of fentanyl to uh, cause somebody to overdose. Uh, So we're trying to get the word out uh, about the fact that a a simple product that was bought over the counter uh, in a convenience store here in the metro area uh, can contain the deadly drug fentanyl. And people need to understand that you know a lot of the products that they're purchasing uh, to utilize in the vape pens, they're unregulated and people just are putting stuff together uh, some of these you have no idea what's in them and obviously uh, the fact that we've now found the deadly drug fentanyl in a uh, vape oil uh, is a great concern and it's uh, certainly a situation that could be life or death
3: so people can go into a convenience store and buy vape oil for their uh, vaping purposes but none of that is checked at all
2: that, that's correct. There, there's uh, no regulation over the vapors. Uh, I mean, they could be manufactured in the you know the back of a house, or they could be manufactured in a production facility. But there's no oversight as to uh, the quality of the product that's coming out, the content of the product that's coming out, and uh, ultimately in this situation, uh, you know, we had identified that the products that were being sold. Uh, were uh, basically liquid spice which is uh, regulated because it's a crime to sell it and um, now we've got some of the liquid spice that's been um, tainted with fentanyl and that could ultimately lead to the death of of an individual that would would ingest that kind of product
3: So just looking at the overall picture, last week you raided some convenience stores and confiscated Spice. Are these items that um, they can buy from wholesalers, or they're buying them off the black market?
2: Um, This is an ongoing investigation, so I'm not at liberty to talk about where the supply was uh, for the items that we seized last week. But... I can tell you generally, uh, this stuff is readily available on the internet. It's readily available in in the black market. And um, so if if you're out there and you wanted to, you know, sell uh, a controlled substance, you can get it off the internet. Uh, Again, though, you know, you have no idea what the product is that you're getting. There's no checks and balances in place to know that it's, you know, a good product that ultimately is going to be okay. And, you know, I have a real problem with these store owners selling liquid spice that is a a controlled substance. It's a crime to sell it. Uh, They were targeting high school age kids. And, you know, it's it's a wonder that we haven't had more medical issues as it relates to vaping uh, with the high school kids. Um, But it's just a matter of time.
3: Did you make arrests? Uh,
2: there were seven individuals arrested last week uh, in connection uh, with the sale of a controlled substance. And um, as I said, this is an ongoing investigation, and we're continuing to do uh, what we do in conjunction with some of our federal partners uh, to you know, make sure that uh, we are getting all of this drug off the street.
3: So are you telling people not to buy the vaping oils out of convenience stores? Uh,
2: absolutely, because you have no idea what you're getting. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's literally like playing Russian roulette. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to have some really serious discussions about, uh, you know, the vaping products and the, and the vaping oils and its availability uh, to young people, uh, it seems to be a big fad and a big trend uh, among high school age kids and college age kids and uh, again you know it's concerning uh, from an enforcement standpoint and a public safety standpoint because you know if you've got product out there that contains something like fentanyl and the uh, accidental exposure to law enforcement to that to that drug could be uh, fatal to a law enforcement officer but it's also a public health emergency to some extent because of the fact that you've got these products out there and people just have no idea what's in it. Now we've got fentanyl in at least one dosage unit that we've identified uh, that could ultimately have killed somebody.
3: Thank you so much Director Dowdy for your time. Okay, thank you.
0: The same day as the raids, August 8th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued new guidelines for the e-cigarettes, which are used for vaping. That's according to Mike Jeffcoat, vice president of the Mississippi Vaping Advocacy Association. He owns several shops. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser, it's become a serious concern.
4: Any vaping oil that has any add- additives in it, as such as spice or uh, any synthetic, or highly illegal and should, should not be dealt with. Anywhere in the United States, or sold anywhere in the United States, there's a particular group of people that were uh, selling these. You know, buying large quantities of this. As you saw, there was over 40 or 24,000 units captured over in Pearl and Flowood, Mississippi. Vaping is safe, but you know, you got when you got like I said before, any bad players or you know illegal operatives in any industry. No bad things are going to happen, just like moonshine and, I mean, in the in the alcohol. It's illegal, and no matter what, you're going to have some people try and break the law to to benefit and fill their pockets. As far as vaping, and, you know, if you know the source of, like, vape shops that generally are professional and members of the MSVAA, we operate by good standards. So, you know, all the shops that were involved in this bust None of them were members of the Mississippi vaping advocacy association, and uh, you know we tried to you know talk to them, and you know for whatever reason you know they didn't want to get involved with us, and once we figured out you know there was probably a reason why you know if we if we would have you know known something like that was going on, just like anything, just from the phone calls that I would receive at my location, you would have people call up asking specifically for aroma or chronic or you know these illegal drugs and we just simply tell them, you know, hey, it's illegal. We don't handle it and, you know, nobody should be handling it. So if somebody is tainting it and mixing fentanyl or uh, synthetic cannabis into any of it, it's highly illegal.
3: Are there any regulations involving how this is used and maintained?
4: The FDA... They've set down guidelines, you know, for the standards of the industry and the labeling and the marketing and, you know, how it's handled. No sales to minors. There, there's a lot of, a lot of stipulations to what, you know, how to sell e-liquid. But just like I said. Anybody who's willing to break the law in, in any form is going to do what, they, what they're going to do. They're criminals.
3: So should people feel safe going to vaping shops? Because although the, these um, units were confiscated, I believe, from maybe one or two vaping shops and inconvenience stores, how can people judge if uh, they should even deal with it?
4: They should do their research. You know, if the business has been around a long time, that thing is to go in and talk to the owners and, and get to know them. That's just part of what we do. And just make sure they're operating by good standards, you know. I mean, once the word got out for these other uh, bad players that they were doing this, of course, you know, the people who were getting addicted to it are running over there just like a, a drug addict to a drug
3: dealer. How do you feel about this? Because it's putting a spotlight on vaping not in a good light, and this is your business.
4: Absolutely, I'm. I am just livid. I mean, that, that there was some people, you know, handling bad stuff. You know, and just by the phone calls I was receiving, I mean, it's very detrimental to our industry. You know, main thing there just needs to be just like anything. I mean, you can buy marijuana or you can buy you know whatever drugs you're looking for if you if that's what you're looking for. I'm sure you can find it. But there just needs to be a good set of practices you know, for for the vaping industry, which the FDA is, like I said, got the guidelines set down. But as anything, if there's going to be a criminal, there's going to be a criminal.
3: Mike Jeffcoat of Magnolia Vaping, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this important issue. Thank you so much. The FDA
0: reports in 2016, more than 2 million middle and high school students were current users of the products. Coming up on Everyday Tech, we'll hear the latest in adaptive technology tools,
1: On the next Deep South Dining, we welcome back friend of the program and fan favorite, the floral butcher, David Raines. He's also bringing along Leah Bailey from Salad Days to talk about a hydroponic farming and an upcoming foodie event that supports a good cause. Also, we break down a list of 35 classic southern foods everyone should try at least once. And you never know what Deborah is going to bring out of her kitchen. So tune in to the next Deep South Dining this morning at 9, only on MPB Think Radio.
5: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing assistive and adaptive technology. So Wilts, what is adaptive technology?
6: Well, Michelle, adaptive technology, it refers to special versions of already existing technology or different tools that we have out there that can provide enhancements or a different way for people to interact with that technology. Some of those examples may be more low-tech, like a, you know, large print books or digitized text. Even just improvements in lighting, things to make it a little bit easier for everyone. And it can even go so far as to be things such as predictive text that we've seen in some of our phones, as well as adjustable desks. For example, quite a few folks that I work with use the standing desk options now and keyboard modifications and things to make things more ergonomically accessible. Why is adaptive technology so important? adaptive technology has really become important as we see technology growing within our society. This is particularly seen in its ability to promote a greater independence by anyone and everyone trying to use this. So maybe you're getting a little bit older and your eyesight's not quite what it used to be. Or maybe you attended a few too many concerts as a young child and maybe your hearing has slipped out a little bit. Or it could even be something as simple as to allow a younger child to be able to interact with these different items. There's so many different ways that technology can be customized to you. It doesn't have to be just for the masses per se, but it can be more so it's a tool for you personally to use. So being able to adapt it to what you need versus what someone else might need is really what makes it go from being technology to being personal tech.
5: Is adaptive technology the same as assistive technology?
6: Well, we can see a little bit of blending of the two, um, depending on kind of your perspective over a particular technology or device. But generally speaking, assistive technology is more of a specialized device for something. One way we make a think of assistive technology would be things such as hearing aids, a technology that goes into that, or even wheelchairs or prosthetic devices, and things that are specifically developed to allow someone with that specific need to be able to interact a little bit more with the community around them. Um, But where you can also see the blending is we'll actually see text-enabled telephones and you'll see Braille devices that can actually take those emails or even websites and allow them to come back and be seen with someone that may be vision impaired. Um, We're also seeing a lot of devices that are being specifically developed to help children and adults with different disabilities such as autism, Down syndrome, just to allow people to, again, engage with and be a part of everything going on around them and tend to what their specific needs are. So Wilts, what are some areas where adaptive and assistive technology can make the most impact? Well, we see this coming in not just in the home, but we also see this within the workplace as well as at school. So it really kind of runs the full range of locations that we could be at. And what we're seeing is this having the ability to help those of us with differing disabilities perform tasks with a much greater ease and much more independence and tears down so many of the barriers that would otherwise potentially stand in their way of being able to achieve what their goals are. And it's not just those with disabilities, but it could just be those with different abilities. So, Michelle, throughout the years, we've really seen where technology has really stepped in and stepped up to help enhance all of our lives and really improve independence for everyone. You know, if you if you really want to think back, think back to a past president we had, FDR. Many may also recall that he had polio, which would have made driving and some other daily tasks a little bit more difficult. Even back in the early 1900s, they were adapting the car to allow him to do a little bit more control when it came to hand controls. And so we're really seeing technology step in and make a difference. It's not just about checking your email and looking at your social media feeds. Today, technology can make such an impact on everyone around us, no matter their needs. And it can help us to obtain that independence we all desire, as well as reach our goals successfully.
5: We will talk more about assistive and adaptive technology on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Ecologist Chelsea Rockman boarded a research vessel to count plastic in the giant Pacific garbage patch. It changed her life. It's like basically
6: like a soup of confetti of tiny little plastic bits everywhere and everyone just sat there and just were like okay
5: the plastic waste fouling our oceans and our drinking water this afternoon on all things considered from npr news today at four on npb
2: think radio MPB Watch Us Shine brings together some of your favorite MPB radio and TV stars. Join Walt Grayson, Deborah Hunter, Wyatt Waters, Robert St. John, Marshall Ramsey, Bill Ellison, and Felder Rushing for a magical evening of never-before-seen footage and remarkable gems from our vault. It's a night of star-studded entertainment, major announcements, and a chance to win fabulous prizes. MPB Watch Us Shine premieres Thursday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. on MPB-TV.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB, Think Radio, and Karen Brown. The Mississippi Forestry Commission is aiding five western states in fighting wildfires. A 20-person hand-tool crew is working to stop the spread in Colorado. A heavy equipment operator is in Washington state offering wildfire suppression efforts. And four incident management team members are serving Colorado, Oregon, Idaho, and California through off-site efforts. Officials say the deployed crew members are expected to return in less than a month. That's just in time for the drought season to begin in Mississippi. Randy G- 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 Kelly is fire chief with the MFC. He explains the system for identifying assistance from other state and federal partners. How
1: it works is all the wildland firefighters are qualified in certain areas. Those qualifications are, are measured in a, in a federal system. So you put yourself available in that system, and the and the fires will. Pick and choose what they what they need on, on whatever fire they're on, you know. So when I put a one of our employees available in the, in a certain position, you know, whatever fire, wherever that fire may be, can pull that up and say, "Look, we got a person qualified for this, and we need this person here." They'll order them up, and we'll send them to them.
0: It sounds like it must be a huge operation just it to is coordinate
1: behind the, behind the scenes. is, is – it's a massive chess game, is what it is.
0: So, do you uh, say we have these people available, or do you get a request like, "Do you have these people that we need?"
1: Right now, it's we put them available, and that's that. But right now, being preparedness level five nationally, which is high, it's the highest level it can go. They're they're calling. Look, if you can, if you have anybody, please put them available. You know. Resources are very thin. It's hard for these fires to get get resources, and and when they have them, they're scared to let them go, you know, if you could imagine.
0: Do you keep them a minimum amount of time?
1: They pack for a minimum 14 days on the fire line. And, you know, it'll be two days travel out there, 14 days actually on the fire, and then two days travel back. So you're looking at an 18-day deployment minimum. Um, If the fire needs them to extend, they can extend for another week. Which would put them at a 21-day uh, work shift out there.
0: You don't have people here to replace to rotate in and out.
1: We do, but we get you know we can't we can't overextend ourselves. You know our fire season will start up uh, Septemberish, you know early October. We don't want to extend ourselves in case you know the rain stops here.
0: What does the outlook look like for Mississippi?
1: Right now it it looks pretty good, you know. We're getting these afternoon showers and, and they're scattered across the state. Usually usually these afternoon showers will be in one part of the state. But right now it's pretty pretty even across the state. We're not in a drought situation, so we're able we're able to help. And that's and that's why we have thirty people, you know, out of state helping helping with out of state fires right now.
0: How many fire personnel are there in the Mississippi Forestry Commission?
1: We're bumping uh, you know, on the ground around two hundred two hundred and fifty a little more than 250 personnel. Um, we have 25 areas across the state, and we, you know, we still have uh, crews in each county, but they they work they work an area, which the area is, you know, on average, a three county three county wide area. So their workload is towards an area, but we we station units in each county, you know.
0: Does fall tend to be the driest time of the year?
1: Well, yes, ma'am. Mississippi is. Mississippi is totally different from out west. Our fire season starts in October. There, there's an end in October. When they start getting the snow out west, you know, they're, they're done, and we're just picking up.
0: What um, parts of our state are most vulnerable to fires?
1: Our coastal region has a lot of fire for the reason being the, the waxy fuel. Um, and I say waxy fuel, the, the understory, the underbrush, has got a lot of waxy leaves. Uh, which is very volatile, and, you know, those fires can happen all year. You know, imagine the sandy ground that dries real quick. You know, say it rains in the morning, by that afternoon it's dry, that sand just soaks that water right up so we can burn that afternoon. The central part of the state and the northern part of the state, uh, our our main fuel load is uh, pine plantations, you know the pine needles on the ground and when that fuel builds up it's once a fire gets established in a pine plantation it can it can get pretty pretty serious pretty quick so you know and that's and that's where our our heavy equipment comes in you know without without our bulldozers you about can't stop it you know you have to get get out in front of the fire and put and put maybe a our dozer put in a 10-foot a wide lane and we may have to double or triple that lane to stop that fire and and without the heavy equipment, you you know you're just you're beating yourself to death. You, you couldn't do it. So that, you know, we we uh, we say Mississippi's dozer country because that's exactly what it is. That's why all our crews are equipped with with bulldozers.
0: Final question: If someone's driving down a highway and they see fire off in the trees. Mm-hmm do they call 911 and then it'll get to you or is that the correct procedure
1: Absolutely absolutely if you see if you see a fire definitely call 911 or, or you can call our dispatch our central dispatch here in Pearl Mississippi directly 1833 MFC fire and that that'll put it straight to our dispatch and that'll shorten the uh shorten the response time on our end But 911 what they'll do is uh they'll dispatch the volunteer fire department and when the volunteer fire department gets there and sees they need us then they'll call us but if a if a if a mississippian sees that there's fire in the woods you know the smart thing to do would be call 911 or MFC fire 1833 MFC fire go ahead and get us in route
0: Randy Jacelli is the fire chief for Mississippi's Forestry Commission Randy thank you so much for being with us
1: Absolutely thank you ma'am
0: Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, Deep South Dining. At 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.